And, uh, but this is a bait cast reel, and it's made for doing things like this. It's called flipping jigs. I won't get you, Pete. And so if you're going to flip jigs, there's a bass. He's laying right down in the weeds down there. And you can't get him out. And you've got to flip this little jig down, and you drop right in front of his nose, and you jig it, jig it, jig it back and forth. And when he hits it, he's in the weeds. You've got to, as hard as you can, rip that thing out of the weeds, pull him out of the stumps. And so this reel is designed, the line goes straight to the reel, and it gives you power. Also, if I'm going to cast like bait, a, a spinner bait all day, I want to use a rod like a reel like this because I can cast it all day long, and uh, the reel just has a direct drive right to here, and it pulls the, the bait in better, and it pulls it faster. And so a bait cast reel is, is a really great reel. Other, other reels work for different applications, but for a lot of fishing, a bait cast reel is the best reel. Now, I fish a bit, right? Some people fish a bit less. If I take somebody that fishes a bit less with me and I put him on my boat and I try to give them this rod and reel or one of the dozen I have similar to this, guess what will happen when they try to cast it? You're guessing it. When you cast this, what happens is you've got you to gotta throw it really hard and you actually have to adjust a knobs on the side to adjust for the weight of the lure and the wind. You have to think of all of that because if I take this and I cast this out, and it's windy, I don't have a spinnerbait that's got blades on it, the wind will slow the bait down, and the spool inside here will spin faster than the line going out, and it'll go, and it'll make what's called the bird's nest, or a backlash. Now, I have seen videos, many videos, of, of fishermen doing this, getting the backlash, and taking the rod, and throwing it into the lake, because you can't do it. So when I fish with this for the day, in a middle matter of you know, in a matter of course of a day, I will get a dozen backlashes at least. Where I got to sit here and, and try to get those. It gets a big knot in here. Try to get the knot out. So while the worship team was practicing today, they thought I was interrupting them, but I wasn't. I came here to see if I could pitch jigs off of here. So they were singing, and I was flipping jigs off here to see if I going to hit anything. Can I do it? And uh, they thought I was interrupting them. I really wasn't. But what happened is. As I was doing this, I thought, somebody was talking in the sound booth, so I thought, I'm going to wheel this thing way back to them. And I went to wheel it way back, and I hit the chair right here. I won't get you. Hit the chair right here, and it stopped right there, but I was making a cast back to the sound booth. And it went, and I got a massive bird nest, such a bird nest, such a backlash, that I had to break the line, and I took almost all the line off of the spool. And so the bait cast reel is a wonderful rod. It's my favorite kind of reels that I use when I'm always fishing, casting baits. So I use bait cast reels. But a lot of people can't use them because they make a great big giant mess. You say, why are you saying, why are you telling us, is this, is this the in-fisherman today? It's not. While I was reading our text that we're going to look at today, that's all I kept thinking about. I'm reading this text and it's this wound up mess. And it reminded me literally of a, of, a, of a bird's nest in a bait cast reel. And I'm trying to look at it. Actually, I actually went with to Pastor Paul and I sat down and I said, talk to me about this. What are you seeing in this text? Because Peter is just, this, it seems like this big tangled mess. And it would be easy to do what people do with a bait cast rod. They get it, they get a big mess and they go... I don't want to deal with this. And they throw it in the bottom of the boat or they literally, I've watched them throw them in the lake. 
You know, there's, here's 300 bucks. Throw it in the lake because you're so mad. It would be easy to do that with this text and not try to untangle it. What we're going to try to do today, and I think we're going to do a good job of it, is we are going to untangle the bird nest, the backlash of this text. And I think we're going to find some things that are really important for us in our walk with the Lord. And I think if we did this, because here's the reason I want to point it out, about the, I really wanted to bring it in. A lot of people take these, they buy them, and they set them aside. I buy a lot of them used. You know why? Because people try them and they can't use them. And they go, this is stupid, I don't want that dumb thing anymore. And, uh, and so I, buy that, I bought that one used. But if we do that with this text, if we go, it's a big, it's a big tangled up mess, and I'm just going to skip over it, which is what we do a lot in the Bible. Something doesn't seem to make sense, so we just skip it. But if we just skip it or we throw it aside, I think we're going to really miss some things that are important for our spiritual development and, and miss something that God wants to say to us. So grab your Bible. Open up to 1 Peter. If you're visiting, we've been in 1 Peter for a while. We're getting near the end. He starts getting repetitious near the end, so we're making, well, some of these times we'll take some bigger chunks. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 17 to 22. You powered up and opened up. Here's one of the reasons why I like a paper Bible. I'm going to get to a verse in a minute that I really think everybody needs to have, like, outlined or highlighted because it's the... I think the simplest, most straightforward, one verse explanation of salvation. <laughs> Gary saved this. This was the bird's nest that I had earlier. Thanks, Gary. I thought he was being nice and throwing it away. He was showing me that, uh, giving you evidence that I, that I really did do that earlier. <laughs> so, 1 Peter 3, 17 to 22. We're going to untangle it right now. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to read the tangled mess. And then we're going to untangle it. It says, for it is better if God should will it so. In verse 17, a lot of you want to just take, your, take a scissors and cut it out of your Bible because you don't believe it's true. Even though Peter's been talking about it for the whole time. Don't really do that. I'm just saying, listen to it because we generally don't, don't want to agree with this. It is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 18 there is, in my opinion, probably the most concise explanation of salvation. If you want to explain salvation to somebody, verse 18, right there, I think is the most concise explanation of salvation. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers and, and had been subjected to him. And we'll stop right there. If you're honest with me, that's a pretty tangled mess. Jesus preaching to spirits in prison. 
What's that about? Um, some seemingly random comments about Noah. You're like, why is he say, talking about Noah? Baptism now saves. You're going, what? Didn't you listen? Don't, have you read the rest of the Bible, Peter? Well, he didn't have the rest of the Bible. Baptism now saves. Jesus sitting in a position of ultimate authority over all authority. We're going, okay, we get that part. And to me, when I look at this section of Scripture, it looks like the backlash of a bait cast reel. It t- seems all tangled up. But I'll tell you this, it's really not that bad of a backlash. What we have here, we're going to untangle, what we have here really is Peter fleshing out more fully the theme of the whole section that he's been talking, that we've been writing about here. And he's using Jesus and Noah as people that illustrate the point that he's trying to make. So let's think about this. What is the overarching theme? We've been talking about it for a few weeks. I know we had a break last week because of pastor appreciation, but, but, we had, but there's an overarching theme of this section. Does anybody remember what it is? It's verse 14. 14 verse 14, we talked about the overarching theme is this. Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. That's what he's been writing about this whole time. These people were suffering for their Christian faith. Because they were Christians, they were being persecuted. And he was talking about how do you navigate that? And in verse 14, he says, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, for your Christian walk, you are blessed. And he's trying to explain, how are you blessed? Because somebody could say, you're nuts, Peter. I'm suffering. I'm not blessed. In this section, he does an amazing job of showing us how we are blessed even while we're suffering. Suffering for the sake of righteousness, for doing something right. Verse 17, he's not saying suffering for doing something wrong, but doing something right for the sake of living out our Christian values in a world that's becoming increasingly more and more opposed to that. Now, this idea of suffering. I don't think, for our faith, this is something that we are forced to wrestle with very much in our culture at this time. I don't think that I have faced much suffering for my Christian life in my entire lifetime. And I'd say this, I can say that, and I make my living um, as a Christian minister. And I don't think, so I do it publicly, and I don't think I've faced much suffering. However, this, that isn't true in many places in the world right now, and hasn't been true for much of human history. And I want you to just think about our Christian brothers and sisters, some were referred to in the video, our Christian brothers and sisters, think about what they're going through around the world. Places like Afghanistan. Afghanistan right now, followers of Jesus are being hunted down and killed because of their Christian faith. That is also going down, whether killed or imprisoned and persecuted, that is also going down. If you, if you look on, on the persecution in America, just Google it, not America in the world, Google it and say, where is Christian persecution the greatest? They'll tell you that severe persecution of Christians simply because of people's faith is going on in China, India, North Korea, Burma, Iran, Pakistan, and Syria. Those are the, the top nations in the world right now that are overtly hunting Christians down and they're being persecuted and ostracized because of their faith. You see, Christians being mistreated, Christians being persecuted for their Christian faith has existed since the very first person was killed that we get our namesake from. What's his name? Jesus. You think Jesus understands a little something about people being persecuted? Yes, because he was for doing the right thing. Jesus himself said this to us. 
through the, in the Gospel of John. He said, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me first. Peter, in this text we're looking at today, wants us to understand that it's just the way it is when you walk with God, that you're going to probably suffer some kind of persecution, us maybe some mild, around the world maybe very severe, but that it does not, persecution, this is what he's talking about in this text, does not really rob us of anything, but that being mistreated is often just part of the journey towards the life of blessing that God intends and has for every one of his followers. That we experience blessings even in spite of persecution beyond anything that the world could ever experience because they don't know Jesus. And that's why he uses Jesus and Noah as examples. And we're going to explain this in a minute. We're going to unwind it. They were both men who were totally mistreated by the world around them. They were persecuted Yet, both experienced blessings beyond what anybody else could ever imagine. They experienced blessings far beyond the people who were persecuting them. And that's really what he's doing. This tangled mess is just him giving some illustrations to say, and this is how it worked out in their lives, to prove that it's true. If it's true for them, it's true for us. Look at Jesus first. He uses him as the first example. Verse 17, it says, uh, it says it's better... If God should will it that you suffer for doing good rather than bad. And then Peter writes about Jesus as an example of that. He says, better if you suffer for doing good instead of bad. And then he says, and then he brings up Peter, Peter or Jesus as an example of this. In verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. So here we have an example of Jesus. What's he call him? Jesus the just. What do we understand about Jesus being the just? He's the perfect person who is in fact God himself who lives his entire life without sin. That's what we know about Jesus from the story of the gospel from scripture. That Jesus, this perfect one, the just, died at the hands of unjust people, ungodly people, wicked people, and he died in such a way the ultimate um, in suffering death on the cross, and he said he did it for us. He did it all for other people. For those who mistreated him, he died for those, he suffered for those who mistreated him, so that he could bring us, what did it say in verse 18? He could bring us to God to restore our broken relationships with God. Now notice what Peter goes on to say then about Jesus. And this is where he, the untangling, what looks tangled, but the untangling comes in. It says, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What's this a reference to? The resurrection. He's put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He was resurrected. Now, this is the, this is the assumption he's making you understand, that we understand about this. That killing his flesh did not kill Jesus. The ultimate persecution, killing, crucifying him on a cross, killing him did not kill Jesus. Is Jesus alive or dead right now? He's alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus wasn't ultimately harmed by their persecution. And that's why Peter then goes on to make this strange statement 
that theologians have been trying to unwind for 2,000 years about Jesus after his resurrection making proclamation to the spirits in prison, which as it appears from our text, are the spirits of those who rejected God by rejecting Noah, because Noah was God's mouthpiece, while Noah was building the ark. So those are the ones they rejected God because they rejected God's voice that came to them, Noah. Now don't get sidetracked by this bird's nest here of, 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 the, of these people. Don't get sidetracked. What Peter is saying is that Jesus suffered the ultimate persecution that evil people thought they won, but here we see Jesus, is res- they killed him, but he's not dead, he's resurrected, and he's glorified, and he's in authority, and now he's preaching to the souls of those who had rejected God through Noah. So here's the question. Here's what he's trying to get at. Who's the winner in the story? The persecutors or the persecuted? Jesus, the persecuted, is the winner. He, is, he, he was persecuted to the point of death, but that did not destroy him. It did not rob him of anything, but rather, he is the most blessed. Their persecution didn't rob Jesus of anything. Their persecution was just part of the journey that got Jesus to his ultimate place of, of victory and blessing. And Peter, so Peter shows that he doesn't stop with just with, with the, that strange illustration about Jesus preaching to souls that are in prison. He then talks about where Jesus is now. Look at verse 22. Where does it say he is? Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Here, he is in the position now... The, the one who had been persecuted is in the position now of ultimate authority. It says he's seated at the right hand of God with all the angels and authorities and powers being subjected to him. Does it seem like Jesus won or lost? He won. Did man's unjust treatment, man's persecution of Jesus hinder his path to God's victory for him? No. In no way. And this is what Peter wants us to see. Yes, Christians were then being mistreated for their faith. And yes, Christians today are being mistreated for their faith in places like Afghanistan. And yes, you and me may someday be mistreated for our Christian faith here and now. But that cannot, that will not Destroy God's plan for your eternal life, your eternal blessing, and that cannot and that not, will not rob you of God's blessing for you right now. Now, do you understand how, Peter, how Peter's saying that? Do you get what he's saying? Yes, I hope. Is the nest a little, little more untangled? Okay, well, let's, let's untangle it some more then. Because this is the exact same thing then that um, he shows, Peter shows us by then looking at Noah. God told Noah to build an ark. Now, did anybody back then know what an ark was? No, I had no idea. What's a boat? You don't need a boat if you don't have to float in anything. And so Noah and his sons, it says, start to build the ark. I always wondered about this story. Did God actually tell the boys himself, 
I don't think he did. I think the boys were just doing it because they were following their father. They're honoring their father and doing what their father said. And they'd been raised in this. 120 years, they're building an ark. And the boys come along. And they start building this, what to people around them look like this monstrosity in the neighborhood. They're building this gigantic contraption in the neighborhood that they're calling an ark. And I think the people start calling the city council. Hey, they're building an ark in my backyard. You know, hey, police, this isn't right. They're blocking my view of the mountains. I don't know if any of that happened. Probably not. But anyway, for 120 years, they build an ark and people laugh at them and they ridicule them and they ostracize Noah and his boys. And this is what they probably said. They're just a bunch of lunatics. Crazy Noah and his crazy boys believing that some God that you can't see is talking to them and told them to build this monstrosity in their backyard. What did Noah do? Noah just kept listening to God. Noah just kept doing what God asked him to do. Then one day, God talks to the animals. He tells the animals, somehow, leads the animals, go to the ark. And the people thought he's nuts. Now they're calling the city officials and they're going, now the lunatic's putting a zoo in my backyard. There's giraffes and elephants and rhinoceroses in my backyard. And pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And they go, what's this wet stuff falling from the sky? When Noah and his family and the animals are inside the ark. And the flood came And the flood wiped out everyone and everything on planet earth except for Noah and his family and the animals. And they were all safe within the ark. Now after a little while, the flood, the Bible tells us, the flood waters receded. They left the ark and they were then used by God, Noah and his sons and their wives to repopulate the entire earth. You exist today. And I exist today because Noah and his sons and their wives repopulated the entire earth. Here's the question then. Did 120 years of mistreatment and ridicule by other people keep God from fulfilling his plans and purposes in Noah's life? Absolutely not. Was Noah blessed in his life? Absolutely. Matter of fact, he was literally the most blessed man on planet earth because he was the only one alive with his wife and his family. He was literally the most blessed man on the planet. Are you hearing from the text what Peter is saying here as we untangle this? Yes, Christians may be mistreated for their Christian faith, but that cannot that will not destroy God's plan for your eternal life, and that cannot and will not rob you of God's blessing for your life here and now as you keep walking with him. That's what he's trying, that's what he's untangling his message. This is his message. And notice something else here about this. Peter shows that Noah was saved through, it's important, the word through the flood, through the water. He didn't escape the difficulty. No, that's not how God did it. He didn't escape the difficulty. No, he was protected in the middle of it. He was saved through the difficulty. He was brought to safety through the midst of the turmoil. How? God created the ark 
Now the ark is a type in scripture of, of a picture of Jesus saving us through the, through the problems. And he and, and we are saved through the difficulty by the ark. In our understanding, through by Jesus. And that's what verse 21 is all about. Look at verse 21. He said, you're, you're corresponding to that. Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, the last part says, we are brought safely through the water. We're rescued through the water in the ark. Verse 21, corresponding to that, baptism saves. And he explains here, he's not talking about the act of baptism. When we baptize you under the water in the, in the, in the tank, which we do, we are immersed in the water. He said, rather, he's referring to the meaning of baptism, where someone calls out to who, he says here, the resurrected Jesus for what? He says, for a good conscience, for forgiveness, for a fresh start, calls out to Jesus for salvation. Look at this. In distress, We call out to the one who came through distress himself, Jesus, on the cross. He's been placed in the position of ultimate authority at God's right hand. We call out to Jesus, and he saves us and he protects us in the midst of the chaos and the distress. Church, I hope what you're feeling this morning is courage being able to beginning to well up in your soul. Because what we're seeing from Peter is that there is nothing that anyone could ever do to you or to me that can derail God's best for us. At times you might feel like Noah must have felt when he was being ridiculed by the people around him. You say, yeah, he's hearing voices again. And he's building this crazy boat, but we don't see this God. You might feel like that, but remember... God will see you through the flood in the ark of Christ and bring you to the place of victory and blessing that God intends for you to be. Now, does that seem a little less tangled up than it did a few minutes ago? I hope so. I think the takeaway for us today is for each of us to look beyond any temporary difficulties and keep our eyes on the promise of ultimate blessing from God as we walk with Jesus. Peter's just saying, he's like, listen, your future and your current life are secure. People can rail and they can persecute you and they can laugh at you. But you know what? You're in the ark. In the midst of the turmoil, you're safe and secure in Jesus. And friends, if you will get that, if it'll really bore down into your soul, then it frees us up to live out our Christian lives today with boldness and with joy. We don't need to shrink back from ridicule or mistreatment. We don't be afraid of that because God will see us through by his protection through any storm that unrighteousness and unrighteous people could ever throw at us. So we get the privilege of being part of what Jesus is doing right now here in our world among our circle of influence and we can be willing to be like the Noah in the midst of our our circle. That the world's going, it's crazy that you believe in this God you can't hear but you say, now let me tell you, this God is real and this is what he's done in my life. 
And you know what? He's got a plan for me, and he's taking care of me, and he loves you, and he wants to have a plan for you too. We can boldly be the Noah in our sphere of influence. They thought he was nuts. Well, guess what? He won because he followed Jesus. And I want us as a church family to be bold, to be to understand that no matter what anybody does to us, they can't harm us. People say, oh, they, they killed Jesus. He was the one, the ones they killed. He was the one who then sits in authority. They laughed at Noah. Well, guess what? They weren't laughing when the pitter-patter, pitter-patter came. And they can laugh at you and they can ridicule you, but no one can harm us ultimately because we're safe in the ark of Jesus. That's... That's what Peter is explaining here. And I hope that our souls are encouraged to say, I'm not shrinking back. In this world that's more and more becoming anti-Christian, I'm not shrinking back. I'm going to share the love of Christ with everybody I can in appropriate ways to let them see that in this world of turmoil, they can have the answer. The answer is Jesus. Because if you don't think your friends and family feel like they're in the midst of a flood right now, you're not paying attention. They do feel that way. And the answer is the one who carries us through the flood. And we're the ones, like Noah, who get to share that with them. What an incredible honor we have and privilege that Jesus would love us so much to allow us to be the vessels, to share that in the midst of turmoil in the world right now. He's got a great plan to use you and me to go through this, know that we're secure because we're secure. We can just be like Noah and tell, tell people, God loves you. He's got a plan for you. You take them back to verse 18. You say, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, who have been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. The living Jesus died to wipe away our sins so that he might bring us to God. Share that with people. Let's pray together. Father, We are living in a time unlike any time that any of us has ever lived in before. And sometimes I would imagine like when Jesus was walking those final days and, and, and Noah was being ridiculed, it seems like we're the only one who see, ones who seem to get that there's really something divine going on here. But there is something divine going on here. You have a plan to bring people into your kingdom through your son Jesus. And your plan is to do that through your, your followers. And Lord, I would pray today for courage to well up in the soul of every person here at Portview Church. That courage would well up in our souls and we'd say, you know what? God took care of Jesus. God took care of Noah. And God's going to take care of me. And we would, without reservation, live our lives for you with confidence and boldness. And that as we do that, Lord, we believe this. You are going to draw all men to yourself. You are going to pull people into your family. And I pray for every person in this church that we'd be, we'd be privileged to be part of that process. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon your church pray that, God, you would fill us with joy, fill us with courage, 
let us see, God, that you're never going to leave us, you're never going to forsake us. That we can rest in you and trust in you no matter what we're walking through today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, church. If you would like prayer, there'll be people up here to pray with you when church is done. Otherwise, you can make your way um, out into the cafe. Remember, if you're involved in kids' ministry, right in the cafe, we'll be having a, a, um, a, a gathering right after church. And um, we need to see, we want to see you all on Friday. I want to see some goofy costumes. Come and have a blast, loving on each other, enjoying one another, and also bringing our friends along so they can get to know a really great group of people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great day. Go shine for Jesus.